Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Stephen Walker all about shed hunting. But before we do that, we're going to have a little pre-episode BS session between me and Brian. So, Brian, what's up, man? Hey, not much, man. The weather is perfect this week where I'm at for shed hunting. It's been melting snow all week, which is what you kind of want to see this time of year when it's still early. You're melting that snow off of the top of some antlers. Anything that's dropped this week is obviously going to be on top of the snow. So I'm excited to get out this weekend and, and add more to the pile. Yeah, dude. It looks nice and sunny there. I mean, the sun's coming in just illuminating all your antlers behind you. Here, it is the opposite. It's been in the 60s every day. Today is freezing, crazy windy. In fact, I'm watching the tarp that I have covering my shop right now uh, just getting shredded. It's going to come off probably today, like just Yikes. probably get ripped off altogether. So, Yikes. Well, how's shed hunting been? What uh, What's your shed count at so far? Shed count is at nine. I'm hoping to hit 50, which from what I've heard about Steve and Walker, uh, you know, that's rookie numbers. Got to pump those up a little <laughs> bit. I'm excited to talk to him. But yeah, the goal is 50 this year. I've had it at 100 every year and I have come nowhere near 100. So I'm like, let's make a little bit more realistic goal. Let's hit 50 first. And then once we hit 50, we'll go to 100. What's been your best year so far? Last year. Last year, I found 45 or 46 if you count the one that elk shed hanging over my shoulder i found that archery hunting so dude i think as a whole all of the years that you've been alive if you divide the amount of elk sheds or i mean the amount of sheds by how many years you've been alive you still average more than i have ever found on my best year <laughs> well i'm at there's about a i think there's about 140 sheds behind me and I'm 28, so we're talking almost six a year. Yeah, I've never had a year that good ever. So you've <laughs> I've had years worse maybe... than that. So, <laughs> hey, I don't know if this counts, but I got a bunch of uh, deadheads. Right, I was able to cut the antlers off of a bunch of deer that people didn't want at the processor. And so Seriously? this year, I technically got more than a half a dozen antlers. Now but they were all spikes and sheds. forks. They weren't. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have to find these. I just looked to the right of the garage door and I yeah. said, what are you doing with those? And they said, you can have them. Here's a sawzall. Go to town. Well, check this out. So there is a, um, a girl that lived in my college apartment across the aisle from me or the hall, I guess is what you, most people would say. And, um, I never talked to her for two years, but then like right before we moved out, we kind of talked a little bit and, Apparently she has a big farm. Her dad owns like 8,500 acres in North Dakota. And she went back one time cause she found out I was a big hunter and she showed me like this Snapchat of her dad's shop. Oh and it God. was like dozens and dozens of 120 to 160 inch bucks, like heads cut off, just hanging in the rafters, like rotting, not used. Like it looked 
like uh like an abandoned farm shed that everyone just throws hoses and junk into oh, yeah. like it looked like they were just doing that every year with every buck they shot there was literally like Dude, that 50 would smell of them so bad all the time and i feel I like i bet it was well, i bet it's like one of the abandoned farm sites at the farm that they don't really live at but i'm oh, just like yeah. how are you throwing like 150 inch bucks just out basically out with the garbage water like this is insane did you ever dive into it were they like were they legit hunters because that sounds like a poaching type of deal i mean i'm not yeah. trying to accuse her family of poaching but that's typically what you hear of when you hear yeah. about these big poaching rings getting they used. all had tags on them like north dakota you have to tag it before you move it and it's a sticker yeah. and they were all still on the antler like i could see it in the video like they were oh all tagged gosh they just didn't care and i was even like hey would your dad be cool if like i turn all those into euros and like basically start a euro dipping business yeah and she's like i talked to him he's not really that interested I'm like oh my gosh he's like yeah they just don't like he's been doing this his whole life like it he has like a couple big ones inside his house, but other than that, he just throws them. I mean, they were all nice bucks. Yeah. That's so wild that he's shooting that many mature bucks. Normally in the people Yeah, normally people who focus on mature bucks like that are like all about it. You know, they want to do a euro or a shoulder mount or something and have them displayed somewhere. And to just hear that they're all up in the rafters, man, that is wild. Yeah, definitely different. I mean, I've been dreaming about a wall of shoulder mount bucks. Like I would shoulder mount every mature buck I ever shoot for the rest of my life. I'd build a shop before I quit shoulder mounting them and to hear like someone else just throwing them out in the shed. It's wild. Dude, yeah, that is extremely wild. And I mean, I can't imagine it ever losing its luster, you know, like you'd think, oh, maybe he's shot so many that he's like, ah, I just don't even care anymore. But I'm like, I've shot a lot of animals and I still really really care about that yeah i mean i shot a lot too and the only thing that changes is like i try to elevate where i where i'm striving for like i've shot two-year-olds like i've shot enough of those two-year-old bucks that look good at first and you shoot them but then you walk up on them and you're like yeah he kind of is a little younger still happy yeah. i got a buck but you know yeah. so now i'm just trying to like strive for three-year-old or four-year-old like so i'm never gonna get like i'm never gonna lose that feeling when i do shoot one because it's it's always going to be a special animal i can't imagine just cutting the head off and throwing it out in the weeds dude that just blows my mind speaking of big properties though i just got access to two properties and it turns out living out here and hiring people to come and do work or come quote things out has paid off because i had one guy come out pouring concrete he said that uh he's big into thermal or night vision hunting for coyotes and he's like dude we definitely need to go like we'll go shoot some and i'm like cool didn't get any property access but i'll probably go and hunt with him at some point on the flip side i drove down the road yeah. and this guy was out and i knew that the house was for sale months ago and so i stopped in i said hey man i'm dan just bought this property over here is this yours and he's like yeah man we bought it a little while ago and uh he's like i've got 80 acres here well, last Thursday night, I went out there coyote hunting, and I'm telling you, this is like buck heaven. It, just the lay of the land he's got. He owns basically two high points on hills, and then in between, he's got pasture, creek bottom, field, woods. Oh, my and gosh. I'm like, like man-made funnel almost. It's just a perfect funnel. And I've watched so many deer come out of that bottom. When I used to live out here, I'd drive by and there were always deer and fox and like animals just loved to cross right there. And so I got that. 
he came out to bid my roof on the shop because I'm getting a new roof put on and he brought his buddy out and his buddy introduces himself. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? I'm Dan. Oh, I heard you're big into hunting. You got a couple of hunting podcasts. I go, yeah, I do. He's like, well, dude, if you're, are you into bow hunting? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I love it. And he's like, well, I've got 500 acres. Uh, and my family has it and I'm really the only one who hunts or takes it seriously. So if you want to come out, like I'm looking for people who want to go out help me find stand sites. I mean, we can put in food plots, set up trail cameras and really figure out what kind of deer we have out here because I see big ones all the time. I'm just not that advanced in hunting to know how to kill those ones. Oh and my I gosh. was like, yeah, man. Yeah. We could definitely make that happen. Like <laughs> no, I'm good. Out- <laughs> yeah, you just say when, you know, I'll have to clear my schedule, but like, I'll, I'll try to make it happen. So, um, I'm pretty excited about that. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. You should start with trying to get shed hunting property on the first one too, you know, in addition to the coyotes and then, you know, maybe easier way into bow hunting both. And man, that's cool. That's so close. And with your schedule, like the flexibility, yeah. man, especially you run a couple cell cams and you can just have that like, Hey man, there's bucks running all morning. Like I'm going to wrap this stuff up and hit the stand at one, one o'clock. Oh, definitely. I'm going to, I'm going to be hitting it here and over the next couple of weeks, hopefully we have another warm spell and then i'm just going to tell my wife hey babe you go do whatever you want i'm going to take the kids we're going to go walk around in the woods and try to find sheds and i think every time every time i've found anything like that like this last year uh elk hunting i found two elk sheds and i brought those back one of them had six on it the other one had four on it and i brought it back and luckily my kids are six and four so it's like look i found this one for you ember and this one for you canyon and they're like oh it's mine it's the same age as me or whatever and they're <laughs> super pumped but anytime i find anything like that i bring it back and show them and they get really pumped and so uh the other day my son came up to me he's like dad when can we go hunting again and i was like <laughs> proud dad moment right here so yeah i think if i can get them hooked on things like that as well as taking them down to the pond close by and doing some fishing and just get them more involved, especially this spring and summer with the outdoor stuff. Uh, that'll be a win. Awesome. Yeah, no, that'd be great. So cool. Well, yeah, man, I'm excited. Shed hunting seasons here. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to be super excited after we talk to Steven, dude, Steven, I'm telling you, it's a different level. Like (laughs) I, me to you. No, it's not even that. If I was one-tenth of the shed hunter that I am, that would be like me to you what you are to Steven in the shed world, if that makes sense. like Yeah, kind of, because you found one last year. I found 45, so if you're saying, you know, that's a 45 times multiplier, like he's probably finding like hundreds. (laughs) Yeah, dude, he is finding hundreds. It's crazy. So I'm pumped to talk to him, find out more about Western shed hunting, and uh, yeah, let's jump into it. Awesome. Let's get him in here. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've already seen 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. 
All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is my co-host, Brian, as well as Stephen Walker. Now, if you guys have been listening for any amount of time, you've probably heard the episode with Stephen that we did before, but it's shed season right now. And these two guys are shed hunting freaks. Different, I mean, Brian, you find all kinds of different stuff. Uh, Stephen, you're like the, the numbers you were putting out last year that you were finding just blew my mind. I was like, if I could find, you know, one fiftieth of that, I'd be happy. But Brian was actually with me on my really only whitetail shed that I've found just out in the wild. Everything else has been like a dog bring. I had a dog that used to bring uh, antlers back to me, which was awesome. It was just a dog yeah. that came with a property that we bought, and it was Norwegian elk hound, and it would just be chewing on antlers. And I'm like, dude, where did that come from? It would just run around and find antlers. That's awesome, man. I, I wish I had a dog sometimes out here. I used to raise labs, and I was thinking of going that direction and then ended up getting out of it, but a dog would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I have a, a dog, a shed dog trained for it. He's picked up pretty much every antler on the wall beside me. You know, I usually find him first, but I let him work until he finds them on his own, and yeah. Dude, that's awesome. What What are the laws out there in Colorado for – uh using dogs for sheds is that totally legal or can you not do it out there no no it's it's cool it's legal um uh it's just i think i think with the shed closure that colorado put in place like about four years ago um i think maybe that's one of the reasons we don't see dogs used as much out here uh but again that's just uh that's just a. Um, a suspicion that I have, but I know there are guys that have dogs out here as well. Yeah. The, I, I think adding a dog to any type of hunting or outdoor activity, there's something about it. You know, they call a man's best friend for a reason. I love the idea of having yeah. a dog trained for everything. And if we'll see, once we have a house built and we're on this property full time, I'm going to try to convince my wife to let me get like a bunch of dogs. I want shed dogs. I want rabbit dogs. <laughs> I want waterfowl dogs. Yeah. I want a good guard dog for, for her when I'm gone. Um, but yeah, I can't like those antlers are huge though. I mean, elk antlers, like a dog bringing that back. I feel like it's got to oh have God. a pretty strong mouth to carry back a full elk antler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's uh, I've got, I do have a friend, over in Utah, who has um, he has a couple of dogs that that he uses, um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty funny when they're trying to drag back an elk antler. Yeah, you definitely want like a bigger structured dog, like a lab, right? Um, but you got to be careful, right? So like my lab, he's ninety two pounds, ninety four pounds, and he's not fat. He's just big, you know, big bone, tall, lanky lab, and so he could lift up a, a fifteen pound elk shed no problem problem yeah. is he can't run up and down those mountains all day long like he could with like a german short hair and so you got to right. find like a, a like a small to medium-sized short-haired lab that could yeah. that could do the reps and i have buddies in the goose world where they have dogs that are retrieving four thousand geese a year and you see the neck muscles come up on top of their head from carrying all those geese they're just ripped that's awesome, man. I, I love, I, I love dogs. I'm, I'm like Dan said, I mean, I, I grew up, that was my first hunting experience was hunting wild hogs with dogs. Matter of fact, I just got back, um, uh, 
what is today? Thursday. I just got back Tuesday from a video and a hog hunt with my family in Louisiana. Oh, and sweet. so, dude, I love anything with dogs. Just adds that extra element of excitement. Oh yeah. What? Uh, so, so you got done with that. Are you guys in full shed season at this point or, um, is that, <laughs> are you waiting to open up still? So May 1st is Colorado opener. Um, Dang. so yeah, so that's kind of, so what we have to do here is when the snow melts enough, uh, all of our places that we have permission on private property, you can shed hunt private property before May 1st, but any government land is May 1st and after. Okay. So what I, I usually do is, um, I'm only about an hour and a half from the New Mexico border. And then um, I'm about maybe two and a half hours from the Arizona border. Um, but I'd go, I hit Arizona and New Mexico uh, until we open up May 1st. Okay. How much, how much of the land that you shed hunt on is public versus private? Do you have any idea? Uh, so I have one spot um, that is 6,000 acres of private that we get to shed hunt. Um, it's one of those spots, though, um, and I know, Dan, you've been out west a lot. I'm sure Brian probably has as well. But it's one of those spots that you just kind of are gambling on if the elk winter in there or not. You know, so some years it might be good. Some years it's not very good. What? Yeah, we've I've seen in the past where it really comes down to cattle rotations. Like, did they exactly. leave that? Was that their last year's winter? So then they left it all summer, and now there's good yep. feed this winter. I mean, that yep. can make or break some of the spots I've seen in the Dakotas and Montana, just the cattle rotations. Exactly, man. And that this place is is i mean you hit the nail on the head this place when uh the farmer when he puts his cattle on them on it early and then leaves them late it always just drains the water holes just kills the feed and so it, it's a completely different dynamic yeah that's all stuff that i'm like <laughs> i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave it up to you guys this episode to teach people about shed hunting because <laughs> i'm as green as they come and even talking about that i'm like i would have never never thought about that um <laughs> do you have yeah. do you have like a specific actually let's start with this let's start big broadscape what state is your favorite to shed hunt man okay so <laughs> out of out of the states that i've hunted um, I, I'll have to say it two ways. My favorite state, just blanket state. That's just great is New Mexico. I love it. Um, you can, you can shed, there's no closure, uh, lots of places that is open land that you can shed hunt. Um, so just overall New Mexico now for giant elk sheds, you cannot hardly bet against Arizona. Because, I mean, the, the number of giant bulls is unbelievable in Arizona. So I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty far off from being able to shed hunt either of those places. <laughs> Missouri, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I feel like soon, 
we're going to be actually shed hunting for elk here in Missouri because we're starting to get a decent population. They're very concentrated. Uh, I think last numbers I saw were seven to 800 elk uh, here in Missouri, but they're in like three counties. And so it, I feel like you could find some decent sheds and people have had success. I think over the past two years, it's been a hundred percent success rate on hunters harvesting a bull that have drawn tags. And it's only like a dozen tags, but if, if we're looking at those kind of numbers, I mean, there've got to be a lot of sheds laying out there somewhere. Oh, oh yeah. And yeah. How many tags did you say they give out in Missouri? A dozen bull tags? I think they did six the first year, which would have been two seasons ago, and six last year. So only two seasons so far, six each year. And, yeah. Well, if you start doing the math, I mean, even if you assume that you have a 4 to 1 or 25% bull ratio and you're yeah. only giving out six a year, that means you're <laughs> taking, like, 30 years to cycle through your population. So technically, you could have a 30-year-old age class of bulls. So when you start talking about finding big sheds, if you can get on them, you're going to find a good age class. And that's what we've seen elk hunting, you know, everywhere. Usually population is inversely related to age class. Like when you have like some of your over-the-counter units in Colorado that are just filled with elk, you're seeing a lot of five-point bulls because there's yeah. a lot of pressure. They don't get old. North Dakota, Missouri, you get way less tags, way restricted. It's like less than 1% draw odds. These bulls are getting huge. I mean, yeah. so Steven, for the record, this picture of me with that bull, that's a North Dakota bull. I got the once in a lifetime tag. That is amazing. I, I'd already zoomed in on that, bro. I was looking at it. That's he's awesome. Sitting, Congrats. He's sitting right down the hallway looking into my office, just like a tw like it's the perfect example of what it takes to get windowed by an elk. And the taxidermist actually cut both of those off. So I can pull both of those antlers off like sheds. And it's a 354 inch bull with only a 34 inch main inside spread. And so there's a lot of bone. I would love to find a match set of antlers that are each like, it's literally each one is over 150 inches, about 160 inches a piece. That's unreal, bro. Those would be, the sheds would be fun to pick up. Dude, all yes, the sheds, all the sheds I find out West are like chalky and like you pick it up and it just like seems to crumble <laughs> everywhere. Like I, I I guess it's probably because I'm out there in the fall or in the winter, you know, hunting during rifle yeah. season. And so they've been sitting in the sun all year long. But I just can't imagine, man, walking up on a big brown antler like that, especially a match set. <laughs> so so this past season, um, my, my son-in-law, um, we took him and he had never found a brown elk antler and uh took him to arizona and uh he was able to match up a 320 bull which is you know but for him he was just going nuts but he he had never he never picked up a set so pretty that, amazing yeah that would be unbelievable i mean out of out of all the sheds you get how many uh, how many match sets do you find like for every 20 antlers are you finding one match set or is it a lot better odds than that Mm, I would say it's probably, um, I would say it's ever 15 to 20 antlers, probably. Dang. So over, over the course of a season, you're finding quite a few then. Cause what did you, do you have yeah. an exact count of how many you ended with last year? 
You know what, man? I did not. I was thinking about that this morning. I didn't even I didn't even count last year's, so I don't even know. Dang, I I was But it was a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the numbers you were telling me last year, I was just blown away by it and I was uh the the thing that actually made me think to get a hold of you and be like, man, you want to hop on again? Uh, I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast recently, and I normally go all the way back. Like the last one I listened to, say if it was number 240, I would then listen to 241 instead of listen to the new ones. Well, for some reason, I just chose to click on like my AirPlay screen on my car, and one of them was about shed hunting, and it was a guy who buys uh, antlers mainly out west, Mm -hmm. Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and he was talking about semi-trailers of antlers that he's selling to overseas markets. And I'm just like, dude, I got to get Steven on again, because this is a perfect time <laughs> of year for people to get excited about shed antlers. And, uh, oh of all the gosh. people that I've had on the podcast, you are the one to talk to about it. <laughs> well, so my, my buyer, uh, and I might've mentioned last time, I don't remember, but, uh, my son buys, buys some for our buyer. And, um, so we're, we're all really good friends. And so I was over at his house when he shipped out a load and, um, man, I had to take a picture standing in front of this huge gooseneck trailer, just loaded with antler, you know? So even for me, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I can only imagine the types of antlers that that guy's getting his hands on. And it's I unreal. mean, I, I don't know how you... I feel like it would you'd kind of get numb to it after a while. Obviously, like your first big antler is a big deal. Your first match set's a big deal. But then to like really yeah. wow somebody like that who's handling that type of bone, I mean, it would be it would take a pretty gnarly set or a very unique set. Um, but I'd love to just it, – it's like walking in the meat locker. Like you go drop your deer off at a processor yeah. and you're like admiring everything. You <laughs> see all the other sheds that somebody – found and sold to him oh. would be a pretty unique experience man and this guy so he collects uh you know as most i think probably most antler buyers do at some point they collect unique stuff and so just the 400 inch sets of elk sheds and the 230 inch sets of mule deer sheds you know it's unreal i mean it really is well, you see, my problem would be I would never sell them. I've never right. sold an antler so far. It's a little easier to stockpile whitetail sheds than elk sheds, but yeah, I think I would build. I'd probably spend a hundred grand building a shop before I started selling them. <laughs> yeah, I get it for sure. I mean, bro, and we 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 got to where we found we were finding so many. I just we didn't have anywhere to put them, and so um. We, we've got to her now. It, it has to be pretty special, pretty unique, you know, and we're kind of adding to our collection like that. But we still got a bunch of antlers. You just, it's hard to get rid of some of them. Yeah, I bet it is. I mean, I, I have a tiny little bucket, and it's a bunch of, like, the small bucks over the years that me or my family has killed that nobody wanted the antlers. In fact, this year, uh, hunting in Wisconsin, dropped my deer off at a processor and they had a bunch of buckheads sitting out like on the side of the shop. And I was like, Hey, what's up with those? And they're like, Oh, those are just the ones that have antlers that the people didn't want. And I was like, 
<laughs> they didn't want them at all, and they're like, no, they just some people just don't care. They shoot it; it's one of their tags, and then they leave the head here. I was like, what are you doing with the antlers? Can I have them? And they're like, yeah, go what? for it. They handed me a sawzall, and I went over there and cut them off. And I was like, no way. I mean, I got like a, I got probably like two five gallon or two one gallon Ziploc bags. Most of them are spikes and forks, and then the like eight point racks. They got they were spoken for already. But I'm like, it's interesting that there's people who just literally don't want anything to do with them. They just don't care at all. Um, but even having that bucket every now and then, like with us moving around and bouncing from place to place, I'm like trying to find a spot to put this. Like, where where do all these antlers go? I can't imagine having, you know, 50, 60, <laughs> 70, especially once you get into big old muleys and elk sheds. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been real fortunate. I would say we've probably hit this year probably like 300, 350 is what we probably found this year. Uh, we were just so bowed up with other stuff working, whatever. But, um, yeah, we still found a lot. I mean, I love, I love you're that you're justifying thing. 300. Uh, we found about 350. <laughs> we are so busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you remember with the, uh, uh, me telling you when we, when we videoed that, um, race to 500 that we'd done a couple of years ago, we found like 730 that year. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so compared to, so compared to that is, <laughs> you know, just, it is what it is. Have you been able to look back on some of those years and see if the amount of sheds you sold paid for like all the gas? For the shed hunting season and just basically made it a free hobby so so here's what no i'm not great at keeping up with that but here's the cool here's a cool story so my my antler buyer um is a rep for uh sawarski oh and he he would always tell me and, and dan and i, I think talked about this um you know he's always going you need better glass you need better glass you know and so um he goes, uh, he goes, man, you need to buy these uh, 15 by 56 Suaros. That's what you need for spotting. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not paying $2,600 for, you know, Swarovski's. And he's like, oh, he goes, my my price is, uh, I think it was $2,150 or something like that. And I'll just, I'll give them to you for my cost. And uh, I'm like, man, I, I don't know. And he goes, so he calls me one day and he goes, I just went by your house and I dropped those swallows off on your table. And he goes, just trade them out with me with sheds. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so, uh, so dude, I just, I think, I think that was like midway through the year. So, um, the rest of the year and the next year, I just paid them off with sheds. So. That's pretty cool. That was, that was kind of cool. That's pretty cool. And then the next step would be working out like a deal with Suaro, like showing people how <laughs> good they work for spotting sheds and their sales start going through the roof. I made some yeah. joking TikToks that I like I, I bought these new shed glasses. They're sunglasses made for shed hunting and they make the antlers pop. But Really, I'm just being a goofball, and I'm walking right by sheds in the wide open, <laughs> talking about how good these shed shed. Listen, if are. you want, if you want good, clean shed hunting humor, Brian is the guy to follow. Every time he pops up, I'm like, dude, he's just so good. He's like, man, 
I put on like 15 miles today. It's just impossible. He's like, you know, this ground is so big. And he's like panning, and there's just antlers behind him on the ground. Love it. I got to go follow him for sure. Yeah, yeah it all started because <laughs> I found this road shed, and I was super happy. Kind of on cloud nine. It was a big road shed. And I had the first road shed I've ever found, ironically. And, you know, I was seeing all these guys on TikTok, like, they own 10,000 acres of farmland in Nebraska and they're just fine and shed yeah. after shed and good for them. Right. I'd do it too, for sure. But it was sure. kind of like salty. Cause I'm like struggling to find permission <laughs> land and public land. And so I'm like, you know, it'd be funny if I was just, you know, kind of complaining, being a little wimp. And so I make this video. And as soon as I open the video, I walk right into a tree branch, like bam. So the first thing <laughs> on the video is me hitting a tree branch. And now I'm actually pissed. I'm like, I haven't even found two pieces of deer shit to rub together. And you guys are finding, you know, 20, 30 sheds, probably go back tomorrow and find 40 more, you know, how are you guys doing it? And then I walked by this huge four point whitetail and the comments just blew up. I wasn't even expecting like a thousand views at a thousand right. comments of like wow. half of them were telling me like, it's too early. You got to go on high fence. You got to do this. Oh, you got to do that. The other half just thought it was hilarious. It's like some yeah. people got it. Some people didn't, but it blew up. So then I just kept on with the train. <laughs> the gravy train kept rolling. I like the people I who think it. it's all serious. Like they think everything is a hundred percent real and authentic on social media. And they're just like, dude, what are you doing, man? You walked right by a shed. Like, dude, <laughs> you suck at this. And it's like, that's the humor, guys. Like, do you do you have a right, sense of humor at all? It. Well, last year, I I went early because I was selling my house and moving because my fiance got a residency in another state. And so I was like, I got to hit my favorite spots really early, like snowshoes early, yeah. three feet of snow. And so I'm going out and people are telling me it's too early. Like all these comments, right, from the week before I found like eight. They're telling me all, all right. these comment, comment after comment. It's too early. You're just bumping deer. Stay home. Well, I go out yeah. on public and find 20 sheds in a weekend on like highly pressured public, which is pretty good for flatland states. Yes, here. it is. And so I posted, I took this picture of 20 sheds, me and my dog posted it. And I was like, yeah, it is kind of early. You should stay home. Well, Carbon <laughs> TV media picked it up and shared it. And so then that just oh. blew up. Yeah, I think that that post had like, hundreds of thousands of eyeballs on Instagram and I'm not a big Instagrammer, but yeah. when the carbon TV picked that up, it was like, Whoa. Oh yeah. That'll <laughs> like, get you serious. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think every, you know, every, uh, person that's on social media now, uh, half of them, they miss the joke for sure. You know, it's like, it's way too serious. And then everyone has an opinion and, uh, Man, I just, I, a lot of times I just delete the comments because it's just craziness. Everybody has an opinion, you know. See, at this point in our social media journey, I guess, I tell my wife, I'm like, all of the people that comment, that start a fight on there, that are trash talking you, that are fighting with the other people, I was like, we just see dollar signs now. We're like, keep it going. Like, you guys fight all you want. <laughs> Yep, let it go, man. <laughs> when I knew that, like, I would, you know, as good as I think I am, there's a Stephen Walker out there somewhere putting up 700 sheds a season. So it's like I can't even pretend to be the best shed hunter, but I could be the funniest. Yeah. That's something I could do. Hey, man, you know what? I hear all back. I'm just like, you know, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not be the best, but I'm gonna be the most grateful guy that there is. You know, that's just, yeah. that's gonna be my attitude. A couple of days ago, though, dude, I saw this video, and these guys found like, I think it was 250 in a day or something, and I was like, what in the? So man, there's people smoking it. You know? Yeah. They're getting after it. That's I would insane. really wonder if they were shed hunting like the refuge before they're supposed to beating the Boy Scouts out to Jackson Hole, or like they got a buddy right. that's got an elk farm yeah. and it's all high fence. They're yeah, a, they're I mean, up in Estes Park, just kind of walking trails. <laughs> oh, holy moly! I know. I had a buddy in Estes Park here a few months ago, and he and he takes his picture. He didn't even have a like a phone scope or a mag view or anything but he just takes this picture through his binos with his phone and in the picture there's like five or six elk sheds on the side of this hill in estes and so he calls the he calls the uh you know the cpw and uh says hey is there any you know any law or whatever and they said we'll send somebody out there and so the warden guy shows up, and he's all excited because he thinks they're going to stand there while he goes out and gets these sheds. <laughs> and they, they come up, and then the guy goes, oh, no, just leave them there. We're not going to let you get them. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> he, man. He was, like, brokenhearted, man. <laughs> Jeez. That should be a new fundraising program for CPW to, like, to do like the boy scouts thing in jackson hole but to do it and then sell them and use that money to fix the park up a little bit and keep the park rolling i wouldn't even ought to do something yeah you you know you wouldn't even have to sell them if you if you were to just do a lottery system uh like a a tag draw where you can get a you can get a license to go into rocky mountain national park or you can go into yellowstone or wherever and pick up these sheds man you could sell shed hunting licenses for a lot of money for those places auction off like exclusive weekends like this weekend we're auctioning off this four person pass so four buddies get together i mean you know how much money someone would have spent to find what was it what was it brutus what was the last big bull in rmnp the seven by seven oh Oh, yeah oh my gosh yeah he's the he's the background of my bull elk beard oil website i mean i bought that picture but yeah, like you imagine what someone would have bought or paid for to have the chance to find those sheds or to or if CPW went and found them and auctioned them off like a collector would have spent so much money on those things. Yep. They're oh, yeah. they get no real selling. strict about it. I mean, we were in Yellowstone. We were entering into the park and I had just come from Wisconsin, got my euro mount of a buck that I had killed last year and I put it up on my dash. I mean, it's on a plaque and everything. And I pull in in the RV, and so it's up there, and the, and the ranger at the check-in station was like, hey, uh, just so you know, you're going to have to, like, take that and hide it in your camper somewhere. If a game warden sees that, they're going to pull you over and start asking you about it. And I'm like, this is clearly wow. a bleached European mount already attached to a plaque, like – do you think I've got a boiling right. kit in here where I'm making euros of deadheads that I find in your park? But she was serious. She's like, dude, I'm telling you, they like they will stop you if they see that up front, and they're going to start asking some questions. And I'm like, I mean, I don't want them going through all my stuff. That's for sure. I don't have anything to hide, but the inconvenience of it just doesn't sound sure. fun. So we put it back on the bed. 
I'm telling you, man, they're serious about it for sure. Oh yeah. Um, I do want to hop into some, I guess, tips and tricks about shed hunting because this time of year, people are either already doing it or thinking about it in the area that they might live. And so, uh, maybe, maybe start with like finding the right area. How do you go about finding that right area that you actually want to put time in behind the glass or boots on the ground? So for me, uh, there's a couple of components. One is um, uh, we're, we're blessed to have spent a lot of time, you know, especially close to home here within two or three hours of home. And so I kind of know where the deer and elk, uh, whether it be a migratory herd or a resident herd, um, I kind of know where they like to go. So that gives you a, a, a generalization of an area you know, within a few miles uh, square. Then then I take my info of where I found sheds before and I, and, I, and I start narrowing down from there. I think the thing though, like at this time of the year, and I'm still, even though I've shed hunted for years, I'm still learning this. I, I, I really look at it from a lot of different angles, but how much snowfall that you get once it hits you know, late January, February always has a lot to do um, with where the, the elk and the deer are actually going to be when they shed. So we, we already know that when you get snowfall in the high country, you know, animals start, start pushing down uh, as a general rule. We're finding that some big bulls stay up way higher than you think. I mean, we found elk sheds at 10,500 foot, almost 11,000 feet. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but, but when, what I'll try to look at is our snowfall in, in January, February, because usually the elk and deer are already kind of close to where they're going to shed, but then extra snowfall in those times will kind of push them maybe into a little different area. Uh, than than before and then the the other thing that i i've over the last two or three years is i've been really looking at and some of it is just assumptions because there's not a lot of study out there really in-depth study uh, about what makes testosterone drop in a deer and an elk consistently to where their antlers crystallize and drop so, for instance, here in Colorado, we always get get like this report of someone finding a mule deer antler at the like the last couple of days of January, which is extremely early, really. Oh yeah. You know? So so, but but usually for the mule deer, it's gonna be mid March, you know, when they're really dropping. The, the elk are kind of the same way. For me personally, March 20th is usually around the time we start finding brown elk sheds. We have found one as early as February 28th. So there's kind of this wide margin. And then the other thing, and this is what I do not, I, I haven't figured out at all, but it's like if you have a group of bucks or bulls hanging out, almost everybody will tell you, that when one of those suckers drop, within a couple of days, that whole group will drop. 
That's really wild. I mean, I would love to see some studies done on that. I know, I know, uh, what university is that? I don't know if it's down in Mississippi. There's a university who has like an insane whitetail program, and I see these studies pop up all the time um, that they're doing. And one of them recently was how, actually, I think this one may have been Auburn University. They've got like a 500 acre enclosure with a bunch of whitetails on it. They know what bucks are on mm-hmm. it, they know how many antlers are going to be on the ground. And out of all of the antlers that they went in uh, to find, they only found 38% of them. (laughs) Brian, were you telling me about this? I don't know if I was telling you about that, but I did have Bill Thompson, the founder of Spartan Forge, on my other podcast, the Two Bucks podcast. Yeah. And he said he taps into that data. He's been working with – he works with the uh, Mississippi, Ohio, and Florida – on three different herds and he said very confidently and i trust him he's an actual he's a legit expert on predicting deer movement he said that a lot of times people think of the rut you know for us whitetail guys as as the first week of november for the elk guys it's like the third week of september and they call yeah. that the rut but these cervids actually have many cycles and you know a lot now you're starting to hear more about the second rut well yep. you know bill thompson said it's actually in the whitetail world you know, there's a rut, there's a small one in September, there's a little bit bigger one in October, the main one is in November, then there's another secondary one in December, but they can have some does come into estrus late, like January, February, and what he said is if there's a doe that still hasn't been bred and is going to come into estrus, those bucks will keep their antlers and they'll keep their testosterone high. said that's a very big indicator of dropping is it you know if they drop early that's a good sign that all the does have been bred earlier in the year not the none of them are coming into estrus anymore so there's no reason for those bucks to keep their testosterone high i think we all understand the wow. weather aspect like yeah. severe right. weather causes stress the stress could make them drop injuries yep. can make them drop but he did say that that's like one thing that people don't think of when you think of this rut is it's like it's a long window obviously those January estrus cycles aren't probably going to have a viable fawn or a calf, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the way the world works, that, that fawn might drop in August. It's going to get gobbled up by a coyote right away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those ones, those outliers where, you know, they have one drop here and there, like it just doesn't work out well because when they all drop in, say, a two-week window, now there's enough food on the ground, I guess, for the coyotes to where they're not going to be able to scoop everything up. Uh, whereas oh, it's if not even were, a two-week window. I think it's supposed to be like a two-day window. Yeah, it's like a real wow. short time frame. And so it's like if they were to all drop over the course of a month and a half, the recruitment mm-hmm. rate of fawns or calves would probably be close to zero. I mean, they would yeah, all get yeah. scooped up eventually. Yeah, so like what you said, Stephen, when you got like a group of bulls that all drop within like 48 hours, it's probably because yeah. that last cow or that last, that last doe is done, maybe – that in combination with a weather event or stress and then you see these outliers but i don't hear anyone ever talking about deer and elk getting sick like just plain old got covid you know got the elk covid (laughs) you know maybe that's why you find a bull that (laughs) dropped at the end of january he was just sick like he got sick he got something you know it stressed him out his testosterone crashed and he dropped you know it happens we see injured bucks all the time Sure. We shot one at our farm, 150-inch buck, had a busted-up back leg. It was skin and bones. When we shot it, it knocked the sheds off when it tipped over. Wow. Dang. Yeah. yeah. And that In makes, December. That makes a lot of sense, for yeah. sure. So 
So as you're, as you're kind of watching the weather, as you're trying to figure out, you know, what area might be a good spot and then say you actually drive out there, you get, you get out, what is your next step? I mean, are you just getting high up and glassing an area that you plan to walk or are you just putting boots and putting miles on right away? So a little bit, a little bit of both. We have some really, really great glassing country, especially um, New Mexico and Arizona is unbelievable glassing country. And so when it's like that, I like to get behind my glass and, and, and get a shed or two spotted first. And then usually if we can do that and head to that area, you'll start picking up sheds on the way. Uh, now, there is some of these places like uh, uh, southwestern Colorado is is uh, thicker. And we literally just have to put boots on the ground. And I tell these guys a lot of the guys that we're friends with around here close because they're like, man, what, you know, how are you finding all these antlers? And I'm like, bro, the only thing I can tell you is walk further than everybody else and be willing to put in more miles every day than everybody else. So it's a little bit of both, but if I had just my preference, man, I love to glass. Yeah. On, on the glassing front, how many sheds did you have to give that guy for that pair of Suaros? <laughs> I did not keep up with it, uh, as far as how many, but, um, well, I could do uh, we the numbers finding... for you right now. Twenty-one fifty. <laughs> What's his buying rate? Thirteen dollars a pound. <laughs> well, that year I think it was probably around fourteen a pound or so. Oh, so that's perfect. One hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> yep. Dang. It was man. a lot. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you need to get that engraved in the side of them. You know, just how many, <laughs> or just do a bunch of tally marks all the way down. That's how many antlers I had to sell them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. I'm telling you though, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad I got those because they have just, they've paid for themselves many times over. I promise you. Oh, I bet. One of the questions that I had, um, and obviously everything you said, I'm just soaking it all in, but more, maybe, maybe more selfishly for me and Dan. So is there any advice you would give a flatlander that wants to go out West and you know, like, I would go for the journey, right? Everything I do in the West is for the experience. I've eaten elk take suit more times than not, but it would be nice sure. to find a couple antlers. It'd be nice to find a brown elk shed. It'd be nice to find a mule deer mm -hmm. shed. But, you know, I live in Minnesota. Dan's in Missouri. We can't get out there and scout. We'd, you know, we'd be basically going in blind for a long weekend. How would we look at the entire Western U.S. and say, this is where I want to go for my weekend, my shedcation, out to Colorado, how would how would we even begin to start and not burn three, four trips out there without finding a thing before we start figuring it out to some degree? We're never going to find 700, but... I, th I think know. we just need to add Steven to our Find My Friends on our iPhone, and then we'll know exactly where to go out. Yeah, you got Snapchat, Steven? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so what, what I was going to say is uh, you guys meet up with me. Um, I'll, I'll blindfold you and take you to my good spots, and we'll find a bunch. Hey, I, would I don't mind being blind. like Fort Knox. Dude, you could you could sedate me, man. I don't care. Just, like, put some sleeping gas on and then wake me up when we get there. <laughs> no, hey, listen. Uh, Dan, I, I already invited you, but Brian 
man, if you guys would want to do that, you would be more than welcome to come out to Colorado. And we could literally hit Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona in, if, if you wanted to, or we could pick one of those and hit it. But you guys would be more than welcome to come. I'd love that. But with that being said, if I was just um, – because I was a flatlander as well. I was born and raised in Louisiana, grew up hunting hogs and whitetail deer. Started For some hunting reason, elk and, I can tell that. Yeah, yeah. My, <laughs> I, I can't hide the accent, you know. Um, but I started elk hunting in 2008. I moved out here in, in 2013. Lucky for me, um, I became friends with a guy here that was a phenomenal shed hunter. So I was able to learn fr- firsthand from him. But but if it was me now and I was in you guys' place and I was just going to pick somewhere and go, uh, first of all, I, w- I would pick a wilderness area that there's not a ton of access but where you know by the um like you were talking a while ago about uh these these hunt areas where the tags are limited and the elk get really big you know or the deer get really big so let's throw out a couple of things like one of the things that come to mind if you're interested in mule deer antlers uh the henry mountains in utah great destination for huge mule deer the, the cool thing about Colorado, we have huge mule deer, but we just have a lot of mule deer. Yeah. So so if you want to find just numbers, pick one of these great units that it takes two, three points to draw a mule deer tag and hit it. Kind of the same for elk. If I was going to go, though, for elk, I'd probably just focus on Arizona, and that's where I'd go. And here's the thing. Now, I've got skunked in Arizona a couple of times um, on a couple of walks. I mean, now on my trips, we always find, we're going to find, you know, some sheds over a two or three day period. We're going to find sheds. But we've had days where we, where you just don't find a whole lot, maybe one or two old chalky ones. But the thing about Arizona is, is man, there is always that chance of just walking up on, some kind of once in a lifetime freak shed that just blows your mind. My hands are getting sweaty listening to him talk. <laughs> I know. I, I'm and, getting and so pumped like, right now. <laughs> I was just like, like this buddy of mine said, you know, I'd walk through the lines den with pork chop underwear on yeah. to find one shed like that, you know? I mean, I would just walk 20 miles a day to find a shed like that. Man, that, yeah. I, I can't speak for Brian, and if he doesn't show up to come shed hunt down there with me and you in New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado, we're going to be sending him <laughs> pictures of every antler we find. But that would be an incredible trip. And, I mean, that's a good point. Like, you came out and you said there was a buddy that, that had done some of this, and you could kind of jump in and learn from him. That's got to be one of the yeah. number one ways to get into – really any outdoor activity, but especially shed hunting and trying to figure it out, figure out where to look, when to look, um, is, is just connecting with other people. And there's a lot of people who are open. I'm sure there's plenty of people who are like, dude, I'd kill you before I told you my shed hunting spot, but you know, (laughs) it it, it would definitely pay off to make those connections when you get out there or figure out what connections you already have out there. 
Well, and to, sure. and to tie two things together, you know, what Steven said and then Dan, a story that you've told before. When some, and this is just etiquette. This is Western hunting etiquette. This is and just in general hunting etiquette. When someone brings you to their spot, I would never go there again without them or saying like, hey, do you want to go shed hunting this weekend? It looks like it could be good. You know, what about your spot? And then they say, I can't make it, but you should go. You know, basically sure. giving you permission to go to their spot. Other than yeah. that, there's like no excuse. And Dan, you had that bad situation happen in Colorado where someone stole your spot before you could get there because you were hunting. I don't want to blow it out. Guy goes in, snags all the sheds you glassed up. You know what I would do if everyone is bury him me in the go, mountains. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. What I would do after that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if you know, we go out with Steven, I'm never going to tell anyone his spot. I'm never going to go there again without him, you know, and, and obviously it's not that big of a risk because I live in Minnesota. I'm not going to sneak there on a Thursday afternoon, <laughs> but I would just be soaking in like, why did he walk there? Why did he bring us to this spot? What, what makes the antlers here? And then I would take that and go try to apply it to a spot I'm going to make. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go to a different state. I'm going to go to a different mountain and take what I yeah. learned from hunting with Steven to do my own spot. That's what you should be thinking whenever someone brings you to their spot, to their lake, to their fishing hole, to their honey hole. Don't go that one. Take what you learned yeah. from that one and go find your own. Yeah, duplicate it or find out a spot that is similar to it for the reasons that the elk would be there when they're shedding. Right. So if we yeah. go to Arizona and we're hunting, I don't know, 4,000 feet elevation, we find a bunch of sheds. So then I'm going to think, okay, I want to go back to Arizona. I'm going to find a different mountain, but I'm going to find it. And I'm going to look for places that had like a similar snowfall that kind of got a similar layout. And I'm going to start in that 4,000 band. I might go up, yeah. I might go down, but that's what I learned with Steven. So I'm going to apply it to the next one. And maybe I only find half as many, but at least that's on my own. Have, yeah. have you guys yeah. seen, uh, do you both use Onyx or what mapping software do you guys use? I've got three of them. You got three of them. I, yeah, I've got, I use Onyx uh, the most, but I use a couple others as well. I, I use Hunt Stand, and uh, there's another one my son likes to use, and I got it as well. Did you see that new tool on Onyx where you can click on the map, you click on an area that you're planning on going, and it shows you what all you could glass from that spot on the map that you p click on? I've no, been doing I haven't that for seen that. years with Google Earth. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, this is... Yeah, you can, yeah. Go ahead. With the new 3D tools, you can you can really get a good sense. Maybe it's even better now. They're probably taking the the background, the backdoor data behind their 3D tool where they can do like 45 degrees of elevation change, kind of like Google Earth. And then they're probably just like doing a simple calculation of, okay, what's visible? And then they create a layer based on that. But the first iteration was just being able to do that um that 3d mapping that on it both onyx and go hunt came out with it almost back to back um and then you could really see what you can look at and i've been finding glassing knobs for like elk hunts using that for a few years now well it seems like they just tuned it up a little bit made it a little easier now oh yeah but i mean brian you're a spreadsheet guy i feel like in that situation <laughs> going out and you know you find an you find an antler you drop a pin you look back on it and go okay Nine yeah. out of the 15 sheds that we found were on a north-facing slope or a south-facing slope. They were at this elevation. And then you can just compile yeah. that information, and now you go, okay, on average, they're at 4,500 feet. They're on a northwest slope, and, um, you know, we found them 
in in March or April, May, yeah. whenever it is. Uh, that that I feel like I'm I learn that way, right? So like in the moment, if I find it, I'm yeah. so excited about finding it. I'm not really taking in all of the information that I should be. But if I can drop that pin and go back and look and go, okay, this is the elevation. This oh, is the time. Sure. This is this is everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, Onyx is great for that. Um, you know, uh, and what I've done, especially places that I like year after year, I kind of hunt the same general area for sheds is man. It's been great to, to like, I'll try to mark every single shed, what it was, whether it was a, you know, uh, an elk mule deer or whatever. And then, and then most of the time, you can connect the dots and, and kind of see a pattern of either elevation, vegetation, you know, water, some common denominator that will make you go, that's why they were here. Yeah, that would be, that's the, that's the, that's when you really start hitting that next level and, 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 and it changes a little bit from luck to skill. Like I'm, if I went out West and found one on my own, it'd be a hundred percent luck. <laughs> White tail sheds around here. I'm starting to get some skill built into like I've been to these spots four or five years. I've started to figure out the food and the crop rotations and the where they like to winter. And I can pretty confidently say if yeah. I go here, I'm going to find some antlers. I've I've heard right, of people right. using uh, thermals at night. They'll go right after the sun goes down because the the horns stay hot longer than the ground does. The ground will cool off quickly, and uh, they'll use thermals at night and just go in glass and area and they'll be able to see pretty definitively where there's sheds. I mean, it's gotta be open. Obviously it's probably a spot sure, that if you spent sure. enough time, you could glass it during the day, but at night, you know, when they're glowing red and everything else looks blue and purple, that's, that's a game changer. That's right? interesting. That's cool. I, Cause I had Mike Yoder on from drone deer recovery out of Ohio. That, oh, guy, yeah. that guy is insane. Oh, you guys know who he is. Okay. So Bro. I had him on my other, the two bucks podcast and really? I asked him that exact question. And he said, I can't usually even see, like, I don't really see the thermals on the deer when it's alive. He said, sometimes if it's a big buck, like this 200, I tracked for a guy in Ohio, he had so much mass on his bases that his bases carried a little heat up, but the rest of the antlers, he couldn't see with the thermal, even while the deer was alive. And so he didn't say what you said. Like, he didn't test what you said, Dan, but he's yeah. like, I really don't think it would work that well. Like, I don't know. He's like, he wasn't a proponent of it. And I've never met anyone that's done more, you know, thermal imaging for deer than him. Oh, yeah. that See, that's really interesting because the very first time I ever looked through a thermal, uh, it was at deer. And my well, velvet my, deer would be different. Well, Those these weren't pop. These weren't velvet deer. This was this okay. was we were duck hunting, so it would have been like fall, winter. So they would have been hard horned. And I remember going out back, and and the guy whose property we were on, he's like, "Dude, just go take a peek out back and see if there's any coyotes." And I was like, "Oh, okay, sweet. Like this would be a lot of fun." And I look out there, and there were a bunch of deer, and I could very distinctly see the deer's rack, and it was like really? right at dark. So. I'm thinking I was thinking about it and then I talked to these other guys who who had mentioned getting high up with thermals and you can glass in especially on a sunny day like if it's sunny and then it cools down quickly at night that's when they go out and do it like if it stays consistent temperature uh day oh. and night you're not going to get that you know if it's cloudy but it really has to heat up yeah and then cool down yeah. as soon as the sun goes down and then you can pick them out interesting 
Yeah. Interesting. But I mean, those thermals. Yeah, I'll just stick like, to the dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's not a bad idea. But dude, imagine having a dog that you could cast, right? Just like you would for uh, waterfowl retrieval or pheasant or whatever. Imagine I've casted Grizz like 200 yards before on a double oh, nice. match set mule deer, but he only brought back one half. Oh, dang. See, <laughs> if you if cool, you had though. thermals and you could watch your dog at night and you could cast him with whistles, uh, and you just send him out, that'd be best of both worlds. We're gonna be well, competing with Stephen for morning. numbers. We're gonna ra- we're, yeah, we're gonna, gonna be racing <laughs> Stephen to 500. <laughs> Stephen's gonna represent like the old class of just pure knowledge and experience and then there's me and dan with every tech and gadget we can think of (laughs) to come and compete and he's just gonna steamroll us we've got we've got 80 pounds of gear on our back before we even find any elk antlers and he just comes back well i can't imagine picking up a like to me the favorite sheds that i find with grizz are the ones he picks up before i see them like when it's a surprise he just lifts his head up and there's a shed like you know a couple weeks ago in north dakota I found both of these antlers, right? I've showed Dan this one on the last one. So this was the biggest nice. white tail. But Grizz picked this one up out of a snowbank. It was covered in snow. And so, like, I'm more happy about this antler yeah. than the big one. <laughs> yeah. Just because he found it on his own, and I had no idea it was there. I'm just watching him. I'm like, holy shit, he just picked up an antler, like, out of that <laughs> snowbank. I literally just walked that trail. That yeah. is so cool, man. To see him come running over a hill or a bluff with, a like, a, I don't know, 100-inch brown, that, I can't imagine how exciting that would be to like, hey, where's my dog? Oh. All of a sudden he comes running back with the brown elk shed in his mouth. Dude. Dude. Well, you might have to bring him if you come out, you know? Yeah, he might not make it every day. He might have to recover <laughs> a little bit. I mean, he is like a big boned lab, but I have brought is him he? out to like bluff country, North Dakota, South Dakota. He does fine. I mean, he might not run fast. He's not running straight up the hill, but he'd, he'd probably be fine. Hey, one day on, one day yeah. off, mix yeah. some protein and creatine in with his uh, dog sure. food that day. He'll be set. Give him some caffeine, <laughs> some energy drinks. Yeah. There you go. Um, I had a um, one of the things that that uh, that I would just – I had, I guess, this mental block about, but a um, an outfitter, a guide, friend of mine, really helped me a lot with is, is that I, I just had this thing that, you know, there would be no elk or deer – like in our part of Colorado, on any north face uh, when they actually dropped. And then I got to uh, uh, this this outfitter friend of mine, and we were hunting like, you know, it was getting towards like late season hunts and stuff. And he's like, dude, you know, why are you not glassing those north facing slopes more? And I'm like, oh, man, you're probably not over there, whatever. And he's like, bro, you don't even – realize it takes a lot to push them out of there and and that was the game changer for me because once i learned that from him several years ago uh our our shed numbers went way up because a lot of elk even though they might feed on a south facing slope when they go to bed they want to bed in that really cool like right on the edge of the snow or even in the snow on those north north slopes interesting are, are you noticing, like, patterns? Say you go to an area and find sheds. I've heard of other people talking about going back to the same spot where they found a shed the year before, and they'll find, you know, the next year's set or the ne- uh, next year's yep. left or right side. Is that the same with elk and muleys? 
we we do that yeah we we have years where it's like that and sometimes they'll move you know a little bit but we have years where we go right back and find the next year set dang man how many do you have like an elk that you've found three four years in a row so um one of the most one of the most unique and we kept this one is um we found this uh elk with a really really crazy like one year he had a a huge spike, two or three points, and then a brow that really like hooked down. And then um, uh, two years later, my son picked up, uh, it was a six point side, but we knew immediately it was him because his pedicle is like a 90, like a, I mean, it's weird. And uh, so out of that, out of that, um, where that bull likes to live, a buddy of ours found a brown off of him. It was right in between those two years. So we ha- we bought that one from him. So we have all three of the sheds. But what's crazy is if you drew a line where I found that one, where the our buddy found the other one, and my son found the other one, probably is about a two-mile range. Wow. That's, that's pretty extreme compared to what I was expecting. Two yeah. miles. Yeah. And it's it's mostly it's in New Mexico, and it's a lot of like deep canyons, deep cuts, and so you know it sounds like a long ways, but I mean, an elk could go that far in like twenty minutes, you know, oh, thirty sure. minutes. Yeah, you know? I was actually so, thinking that's really tight for an elk. Yeah, and two it, miles. It, it, might, it might be. Um, We've what what's really funny is sometimes you'll go into an area if you hit an area that that you know somebody hasn't been in in three or four years, and you might find like you know six or eight elk sheds in this one little area, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know I'm killing it, and then when you get to looking, almost every one of those sheds are off the same bull. Jeez. Oh, that would be sweet. See, and that's kind of what I was like thinking. I'm like, out in there. I'm like to find three off the same bull. I, I would be thinking that you're looking in a very, very concentrated area, you know, like that, that's yeah. what I would imagine it was, uh, the year that I saw all those elk sheds on the, on the mountainside yeah. that the other guy went and picked up. I'm part of me was like, I mean, it could be a bachelor group of bulls that were all together and they all dropped at the same time. But I figured that a couple of those elk sheds were going to be the same bull a few years apart, but all yeah. of that just came from things that I've heard about whitetail hunting, like, Hey, you know, we've yeah. gone into this little swamp bottom and found the same deer sheds almost every year, or we at least find one side every year. And so, but it makes sense. I mean, an elk's daily range is bigger than a whitetail's core oh range my God. In, or, yeah. you know, like it's, it's normal range. So. Right. Yeah. Two miles right. for an elk year after year is like 20 acres for a whitetail. <laughs> yeah. For real. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly man that's awesome yeah the the uh the elk yeah do y'all remember that guy that a few years ago he had that governor's tag and he killed that like 500 inch bull or whatever in arizona yeah 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 that freak yeah um so i know i know some of those guys um uh i know people who know them they all outfit and stuff and so that that bull they had like they had eyes on it and they was going to bring that guy in. But anyway, that bull moved like 15 miles. 
and from where they first spotted to where that guy killed it. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, and it was just like quick, you know. Well, didn't so they have the entire Mossback crew guiding for him? And then Mossback even called in some more people like Ryan Carter and a couple other like big elk guys. And I mean, they yeah. had like 25 people on that crew. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. man. Some I can't those, imagine. Some of those bulls are unreal, man. Getting, I mean, getting on a bull like that, though, like you have to have just a team of people. If you, if it's undisturbed, you know, there's a chance you might see it in the same area. But yeah. if there's any pressure at all, man, I've watched those elk cross mountain valleys like miles across in a matter of 30 minutes, just gone. They're, oh my they're gosh, heading yeah. for a different county, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, how yeah. as a human could we ever – keep tabs on them but then you see people who do it year after year they'll see even on public land the same buck like hey dude i've been after this buck for three years and i'm like how are you chasing the same mountain buck on public land for three yeah. years that just blows my mind i'm lucky when well, i the see the same I... buck on private land three years in a row <laughs> exactly the year i had my north dakota tag I found a bull that I knew about from other people the year before it scouted him and he was a seven by seven that year and so i asked like hey where'd you see that bull because it's once in a lifetime like once someone gets the tag sure. like, you never really do it again so you're not that tight-lipped and he showed me and i got on that bull two times in a row and he was a seven by eight and i actually said do you know ryan carter is that one of the guys you were talking about no no i don't know ryan okay well i sent it to him on instagram just like hey would you mind helping me score this bull out of nowhere i don't know him and and yeah. uh but I knew it was big and I was wondering if he was going to hit 400 and Ryan sent me a voice message back cause he was driving and he goes, man, that's a beautiful bull. Like whatever you do, stay on them. I, every time my, you know, my first gut check was high three eighties to high three nineties, but literally every time I watch that video, he gets bigger. So he might be there, man. Like that's a beautiful bull. Well, I spent nine days trying to find him again, not consecutively, but oh my Gosh. before because that was before season opened and I, I couldn't do it I couldn't find him again and so I'm like you know what I'm gonna pull up there's a cold front coming through tomorrow morning it's September 8th it's a rifle tag in the middle of the rut and I went and shot the bull I shot well turns out a landowner messaged me the next week while I was in Montana elk hunting and said hey I think my dad shot the bull you were you know after oh is wow. this it and I go yeah and I go where'd you guys shoot that he goes well on our farm um, they get a private land tag. Well, that bull actually went six miles, crossed the Little Missouri River, and went to a new spot in the same direction I ironically decided to pick up and move to. So I wasn't that – I really wasn't that far off from where he got killed. <laughs> but, yeah, he just picked up and left out of no reason. I think the boat, the mule deer bow hunters kind of bumped him out of that valley he was in. Dang. Dude, they're amazing animals. It, oh, so cool. It's really wild to think about, though, like – when you talk about some of these guides, some of these outfitters, uh, even these guys on public land who do track the same animal year after year, and yeah. they have encounters with it, if 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 you don't think that's an amazing feat, just go and look at this the the harvest statistics for any state out west for a big bull. You know what I mean? Like there's people right. who go out and they're willing to shoot anything that's legal, and there's a lot of people who yeah. tag soup, and these guys are going after one. Like just one. Yeah. And for me, just I'm like, one. dude, it, trust me, if I saw a 400 inch bull, if I saw a 350 inch bull, I would 
probably try to hold out for that, but knowing me and the type of hunter I am, I'd probably <laughs> never see it again. You know, the farmer would shoot it down the road. Well, well you some of those guys. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead, well, Steven. some of the some of these guys, though, like you said a while ago, they've got eight, ten, sometimes fifteen guys that are keeping eyes on and tracking this one animal. You know, I mean, it's it gets to being a huge deal. I'd like to have that friend group. <laughs> I think a lot of Pretty times, cool. isn't it, like one or two guys that have an outfitter license and then a bunch of like 19 to 24-year-old kids that are trying to make their – to cut their teeth in the guiding world. And he goes, all right, you go you go stay yep. on this bowl for two weeks while I do some other stuff. And, you know, and they could, you know they're bringing in a lot of newer people that just sit on it, just sit on there with oh, the glass, yeah. tell me where he goes. Sure. And then it's like kind of one guy been behind the scenes pulling strings. and Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, man, I don't want to keep you too long. I appreciate your time today, and I'm I'm excited, man. I was so pumped when I got that picture. I was like, dude, please tell me you just found this. But <laughs> I look forward to a lot of other pictures, and, uh, yeah, we'll have to have some more conversations about making it out your way and, and doing a tri-state shed hunt. I, would, I bet St. Louis isn't too far off the, off the road from – Minneapolis, St. Paul, on my way to Colorado. I could just pick you up on the way, Dan. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're coming from you guys there, need to do it. You you may cut across the Dakotas and then Nebraska and down, but honestly, I think you'd probably drop down to KC, and I could just bump right up there and meet you. Yeah, I have to figure something out, man. And hey, so listen, fun. Brian has mastered cooking while shed hunting. He sends me pictures and videos of things that he's making on his smoker on the tailgate of his truck mid shed hunting trip. So like you're in for some fine cuisine. Bro. If you host us out there, I found Hi. out my, my Traeger Ranger can cook a full size tombstone pizza. And it was 11 below last <laughs> when I was out, it took a little while for it to heat up, but I cooked that pizza on the pellet grill. We did some brats and burgers. I did. Uh, we were ice fishing last weekend with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. And I whipped up some tacos on the jet boil in the ice house, right on the snow. Like, I like doing that kind of stuff, like next level cooking. Like I'm, I, I, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches don't do it for me anymore. Right, right. No, I'm all about it, bro. I'm telling you. Well, yeah. you might as well eat, eat good when you're having fun. Well, you know how easy it would be on an elk hunt. Like obviously, I'm not carrying my my pellet grill around because I need my truck to run it. But we could do pellet grill meals for like I could do like we could do eggs and stuff for breakfast and do dinners. But then, like we could just smoke a pork butt before we go and and put a Ziploc bag of some barbecue pork and some buns and a jet boil and just heat it up on the slope while we're shed hunting. Jeez, this doesn't hey, sound like it's going to cost me now. anything at all. Like, he's picking <laughs> me up on his way out there. He's cooking meals for me. This is – I'm going to be free riding this trip for sure. What it's going to cost you is when you go, hey, I found this giant shed. And Steven has the, the match side on his pack already strapped on. And then the two of you are going to go at it while I'm cooking barbecues on who's paying who for that other half. Yeah, that's exactly why he wants us down there. He wants to get that match set every time. Um, Dude, I'm gonna tell you, I love, I love just taking people and uh, seeing them find sheds too, man. It's just awesome. Well, I look forward to it. It's gonna I happen. Enjoy it's it. gonna happen at some point. Uh, we'll be out there chasing down brown and uh, man, good luck this season. Hopefully, 
hopefully that race to 500 starts turning into uh, a race to 750 or a thousand yeah <laughs> yeah it will the next one we do it's gonna be up there i promise you is this against yourself or against someone else <laughs> this was just we just kind of challenged ourselves just okay. to see if we could do it you know and um we pulled it off i mean i guess we got lucky i didn't know if you were you, if you were up going up against like weston MacArthur or josh corbin or no, eric chester no. <laughs> like doing this little social media race shed crazy um you know what's funny is is um one of the spots that i i go in arizona uh those guys a bunch of those guys uh this past year was staying in the same uh, hotel as us i'm like man how'd y'all find out about this down here <laughs> <laughs> and they're like we've been here for 10 years how did you find out about this town <laughs> so so here's a funny story so so the guy that I know that lives down there that I'm good friends with, he um uh his roommate, uh they're all they're all connected to these big guiding outfitters and all this stuff. And so uh three or four years ago, maybe five years ago now, it was his brother that invited Eric uh Chester and those guys to come down and shed hunt that that particular area with them. And then ever since the ever since then they've been there every year. <laughs> and they have pulled a lot of sheds out of there man i enjoy watching their videos they've, they've gotten a lot of nice sheds yeah they definitely have i had a i had a hat on somebody came to look at this trailer the other day and i had a hat on that said shed season and now thinking about it i should, probably should have worn it for the show but he gets out of his car and he's like do you do construction and i was like what He's like, shed season. Is that like when you're building sheds? I was like, all right, this old boy has no idea what he's talking about right now. No I don't, clue. No we're not going to be friends, but you can buy this trailer from me. <laughs> I don't. I think my shed season stuff is coming in the mail soon. Dwayne was sending it out. Oh, um, nice. And we need to get Dwayne in contact with Stephen here. I mean, we oh, need to that'd get be him perfect. some shed suites and swag. It's a new, um, they're it. trying to build a community. It's partnered with Half Rack somehow. Yeah. Oh, the okay. owner of Shed Season is also the owner of Half Rack, but the marketing manager, the community manager, is really trying to build like a, a positive, all-inclusive community around shed hunting and just loving it. Kind of like you've seen Shed Rally and the Whitetail Properties people do. and yep. Similar to maybe an okayest hunter thing yeah. where you just, mm -hmm. you know, sharing shed stuff, shed stories, stories about big sheds or cool sheds the buck you've been chasing for six years type of stuff and and they're looking for people and you i feel like they'd be a great connection to make oh it definitely i'd would. love to make that connection man i'd yeah. love it i just had Dwayne on for my sure. other podcast last week so oh nice That's yeah sweet. we'll we'll definitely have to do some of those uh emails connect you guys together and then um yeah maybe we'll just have to have our own giant shed rally and and let's uh, do it start some competitions i mean I'm going to lose. Maybe we'll do I'm a gonna competition. I'm going to try to find one shed before Steven finds two dozen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're hitting from the women's tee box. What's that? Don't jinx me now, you know? <laughs> I think all I did was jinx myself. Yeah. Well, sweet. Guys, hey, thank you. Well, look, if you, guys, if you guys could come up with a date in, like, April, May – even March, but April, May would be great. I mean, we can make it happen if you want to. Okay. Oh, we're going to do something. 
Yeah, we're Brian's probably already sending me texts like, "All right, this is the daytime free. Uh, we'll we'll figure something <laughs> I'm out." Actually, I'm pulling up my brownie point investment portfolio, thinking of which ones I can cash in on. Yeah. yeah. Listen, man, yeah, I'd give yeah. up a lot of the crappy hunts that I've gone on in the past to go out on one good shed hunting trip. I mean, it's that just sounds awesome. I like I like just being out in the mountains, anyways, and so going with somebody like you who's got the knowledge the the experience i'm pumped man it's gonna happen let's do it let's make it happen sweet awesome. well thank you guys for your time and uh we'll keep in touch yeah thanks for being here steven all right thank you guys good to meet you and that is gonna wrap it up for today's show man i am so pumped to get out there and shed hunt with Steven. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. A season where he had over 700 sheds. I mean, think about how many days you're probably shed hunting. Even if it was every day, you're finding two sheds a day? I would give that. But, I mean, his is very consolidated to probably the spring and early summer. And so, you're talking a handful of sheds all the time, and only a few times has he ever gotten skunked going to find something on the ground so i can't wait hopefully brian and i can make that happen and get out there and do a trip set up the wall tent record a podcast eat some good food i am going to look very forward to that and hopefully start planning that soon so one thing that i didn't mention is steven's social media handles and i forgot i'm so bad at that i forgot to give him an opportunity to share that and so if you guys want to follow him on Instagram, it is Stephen Curd Walker. Stephen is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-C-U-R-D and then Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. And on YouTube, it is Ramsack Nation. So go check him out. Check out some of the pictures he's got, the videos. It's all good content. And hopefully you guys can take something away from this. Get out west. Do some shed hunting. And who knows, it could turn into a nice paying hobby for you. And if nothing else, it gets you out there and helps you figure out where to hunt for the fall. So until next time, guys, get out there and chase a new adventure.